Welcome to the Final Girls podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism, looking at a particular trope within depth and exploring how it's been presented throughout horror film history. Currently, on our main season, we are looking at vampire films. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Ghost Collective and your podcast host. Now, alongside a regular series on vampires, occasionally on the podcast, we will cover new films or series that we really want to talk about. And sometimes I get the chance to talk to the filmmakers behind those films. In today's bonus episode, I chat to the writer and director of 12-Hour Shift, Priya Grant. Grant is a phenomenal actor, writer, director, and podcaster. After you check out 12-Hour Shift, and I really, really recommend it, it's out on VOD in the UK now. I really encourage you to check out the rest of her work, including her own brilliant podcast called Reading Glasses. And for anyone who hasn't seen the film yet, we don't spoil any plot details. We discuss it genuinely and we touch up on the making of it, but we don't really reveal any plot twists or anything for those of you who are spoiler averse. If you want to dive deeper into our thoughts on the film itself, there is also an in-depth discussion with the wonderful Louise Blaine about 12-Hour Shift. We have a spoiler-free version of the main feed, and if you want more, the entire spoilerific discussion is available on our Patreon now. With that said... Please enjoy my conversation with Bria Grant. Thank you so much for making the time to chat to me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wanted to get into a couple of the things about uh, the film, but I want to start a little bit with the beginning and to understand a bit of your of your process as well. With 12-Hour Shift, what came first? Was it an image? Was it a character? Was it the setting? You know, I started writing this um, while I was spending a lot of time in a hospital. So I guess it was the setting if I really... Mm-hmm thought about it. Um, uh, I have an elderly dad and he's in in and out of the hospital a lot. And I was spending a lot of time in a hospital in Glendale and Mm -hmm. was looking around and and noticing how much work the nurses were doing. And I've spent a lot of time relying on nurses just because I haven't had a a dad who's been ill for many years. And um, that was sort of the spark. And I combined that with my love of urban legends. I don't know if you know this urban legend where the person wakes up in the bathtub and they're missing a kidney yes. and, and yes. yes. So, so I kind of took that urban legend and combined mm-hmm. it with the world of a hospital and mm-hmm. made this weird heist dark comedy <laughs> out of that. <laughs> I mean, you said it kind of, it sort of really blends uh, a heist movie, a horror movie, um, a very bleak comedy, a workplace comedy as well. So what is it about kind of the blend of genres that um, that appealed? I like that this is the darkest workplace comedy that's ever existed, <laughs> by the way. No one has said that to me, that it's a workplace comedy, and that's so funny. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm glad that I said something that someone's not said to me before. <laughs> it's like, it's ER, but you know. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan of genre, obviously. Mm. But I, my fandom tends to 
um, exist more in the blended spaces. I love mm -hmm. um, horror comedy and I love horror and genre movies that are sort of meta and sort of acknowledge that the entire genre of horror exists. I love mm -hmm. when we can take horror and sort of build on it. Those are, tend to be my most favorite within the genre. Um, like not, not rehashing old tropes, but acknowledging mm -hmm. that we know the tropes and we're going to move beyond them. Um, and I think that's sort of where my sensibilities just come in. Um, without meaning to, I always end up writing something that is funny. And even in the darkest scripts I write, there's moments where people are like, this is too light. <laughs> Cause I just, I, I, I have a sense of humor about life and sometimes mm -hmm. it's a very dark sense of humor, but, but I definitely, um, yeah, tend towards the funny. <laughs> <laughs> you spoke a little bit about the, the appeal of nurses and it's very much going to build around their world. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, I've seen this film twice now and I don't recall seeing or at least hearing a single doctor kind of speak. You see one in a in an elevator and it opens up and they say, Hello doctor, and then he walks yeah. by and leaves. <laughs> so like there's not the only they're not kind of present in in this world. And I found that really interesting because it's very it's you know, it's often I think a forgotten profession that's incredibly valuable and also kind of the all of these stories sometimes are focused very much on the doctors. I wanted to hear you speak about kind of the nurse's world that you wanted to build and the dynamics between them. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to like disparage what doctors do. Obviously, they do <laughs> no. tons of important work. But I think um, uh, most people in their hospital experience, it is a similar world to this. It's, um, mm. The movie sort of mimics what it's like to be in a hospital because you are dealing with mostly nurses day in and day out. And those are the people who come to the room. Those are the people who help you. They answer all of your questions. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it, it never dawned on me to put that many doctors in the movie. And it wasn't until we were shooting that we decided to throw one in there um, <laughs> because I, I realized there was not a single doctor in the whole movie. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's very much the nurse's world and a nurse's world tends to be a very female world. I mean, my brother is a nurse, so obviously not completely. Um, there are a lot of wonderful male nurses as well, but um, from my experience, it is a very heavily female world. And I wanted to kind of live in that space of the mm -hmm. constant movement, the constant people in and out and the dynamics with, <laughs> with like you said, your workplace. <laughs> companions um it is in some way you know you can i wanted you to be able to see that these people have worked together a long time some have worked together so long that they've created um a, a, a ring of of selling organs on the black mm -hmm. market and then some of them have just you know had these sort of um dynamics that play out through over the course of the evening that you get to see which kind of is the same way when you go to work day in and day out I, you build these weird relationships with people and mm -hmm. sometimes you don't know that much about them, but you are also very close to them in some ways. Um, so I was just trying to kind of reflect that entire world. I'm going to keep calling it a workplace comedy. It is like, now that you've said that, it's like the only <laughs> thing you can think of. <laughs> Listen, I've worked in some offices that are probably worse than that hospital. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> One of the things that I found as well really interesting about the setting and um, the way that the kind of the nurses relate to the characters that come into that setting, especially um, Regina, 
is that they're surrounded by their everyday work, which is a lot of sickness and and death and sometimes a lot of, you know, dealing with people's bodies and everything that that involves. And I found a lot of the humor, for me at least, was between um, Regina and Mandy and their approaches to the human (laughs) body and to just, you know, (laughs) violence or blood, something as simple as that. Um, So could you talk a little bit about kind of the... um, the, how would you describe the different relationships with death and violence that the that they both have? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they they come from different um, approaches, but both have a very um, tolerant view of death and and blood because I think they come from different places. Mandy Angela Bettis's character is um, obviously a nurse. She deals with death every day. She deals with violent injuries. She deals with bodily fluids. I mean, we get into the bodily fluids a lot in this movie, uh, which is very much a part of being a nurse. There's a lot of bodily fluids. Um, You know, uh, it's gross. Um, And, (laughs) and, and Mandy takes that all in stride for the most part. But I think she had she values life, you know, like at the end of the day, she yes, is involved in this scheme where she kills people and takes their organs but i think she does have a value she values humanity and she values life even mm. though it's in a very very dark way whereas regina played by chloe farnworth comes in and also is not bothered bothered uh by killing people um and has no value for life really i wanted her to actually be a true psychopath i but to believe in everything that she does the weird thing about her, which, which you're pointing out, and I think is such is so uh, great that you notice, is that she hates bodily fluids and she hates grossness. Like she's so disgusted <laughs> by the idea that she's even in a hospital and she's scared she's going to get sick, mm. but has no problem uh, pouring bleach down a man's throat to kill him. So <laughs> they do come at it from these really different worlds and their family, which I mm. think just i mean in in a distant way but i think they're family and they also just sort of come from the same roots um mm. and when you grow up in a small town there are people who i am like quote unquote related to or i had no blood relation to and that was sort of the idea i was trying to get across but they're also just from the same area they're from mm. the same folks who probably went to the same church and you know live in the same neighborhood and sometimes saw each other on the holidays even if they have no blood relation um, so yeah, it's, they do come into it from very, very different perspectives, but sort of end up on the same page in some mm. ways. And in some ways, obviously, Mandy is very unhappy with the uh, chaos that Regina brings. And could you talk a little bit about um, the way that they are perceived quite differently as well by the people that surround them? And I'm thinking especially of men and particularly the, the cop which I still find one of the funniest scenes in the film. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's that's true. Well, the cop is so wonderful, played by Kit Kit Williamson, who's been a friend of mine for years and years, and um, wrote and created the show Eastsiders on uh, on Netflix. He's an amazing actor, and he comes in and just is is just (laughs) does an amazing job of being... um, you know, very doesn't believe Mandy for a long time, and then kind of becomes more credulous, and and they have just such an interesting flow. I actually had it in there, and I took it out more that he hit on her a little bit more. The cop did, and I took a lot of that out because I didn't want it to be completely. I didn't want it to be completely about about that. I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously Regina just gets away with so much more 
And a lot of it was is her use of sexuality, you know, and I, I wanted that to be clear that she's able to bat her eyelashes mm -hmm. and get through a lot of the chaos that she causes, but not necessarily with everyone, right? I mean, there are definitely people in the movie who do not respond to that at all for her, and she has to think of more creative ways to get, get through her night. One of the things that really struck me, and that I mean this in the best possible way because I just don't see it enough, is the way that they speak, especially Mandy. Mm -hmm. Um, I just love the language in the film. I love that it's funny and it's crass and it's completely um kind of laden with swear words and just kind of this tiredness sometimes, especially from Mandy. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the way that you that you wrote their voices into the script and the way that you kind of imagined them speaking. Yeah. Angela did an amazing job. Um I, I think she really was able to capture it in a way that mm -hmm. um a lot of other people would have really struggled with and I felt like it just rolled right off of her. Um, in part, I think because she's also from Texas. Mm -hmm. um, I I'm from this small town in Texas and I was trying to capture the language that we used growing up, which was very crass. It was very inappropriate. We would call each other bitches. There was just like not, <laughs> it was not a nice way of speaking. And, um, and then people have these really funny phrases that they use mm -hmm. that I will still pull out every once in a while. And everyone turns to me like, what did you just say? Because <laughs> I still have in some ways a very small town Southern way of speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and, <laughs> and which I try to hide a lot, um, <laughs> but it definitely comes out in, in some ways. But I think that the style of speaking is both Southern and small town, but also just very nineties. I think the nineties were a different era for, for, um, um, <laughs> for phrasing and um, and the way we spoke to each other, which I'm very much glad it has changed. I don't think it's okay to say fuck you at the end of a sentence or <laughs> call someone a, a dumb bitch, you know, but I do think that was true to the way I feel like people did speak at that time. Mm -hmm. And some of it is obviously a little heightened, um, but I wanted to find that weird 90s thing that we, we just don't do anymore for better i think it's better that we do not speak this way <laughs> but i but i also think it's really interesting to have it in the film this way absolutely and um it kind of brings me on neatly into asking you um what made you want to set this in the 90s because it's set in 1999 isn't it yes mm -hmm. yeah 99 i mean i'm a child of the 90s i was living in east texas in the 90s so thinking about setting this movie in east texas it always made sense to me to set it in the nineties and to have mm -hmm. a bunch of people that I knew growing up, growing up with. And, um, I also had like come to view Y2K as a little bit of an urban legend itself. So I mm -hmm. felt like it really fits into the world this time when we all thought the world was going to just completely, I don't know, explode. I don't know what the fuck we thought was going to happen. Um, <laughs> but it was like, we thought a technology was going to shut down and none of us would have electricity. And then, yeah, Nothing, nothing happened. So I, I think there is part part of me that just uh, thought that Y2K was a good good time for this. Yeah, collective paranoia and fear, and small like an individual's in paranoia the, as well. Right. In the same way, I was very concerned that someone would want to take my kidney. I was also concerned that Y2K would happen, and I don't know what I thought would happen in this small town like that. I don't know. There weren't even that many computers, probably. I don't think they were running everything in that town at that time. Um, but I, but I was very scared of it. And um, I have to ask you about Angela Bettis and working with her because she is so good in everything. 
all the time. And probably one of my um, favorite actresses, genre actresses that I remember seeing for the first time when I was probably way too young to watch May. But can you just speak a little bit about getting her involved in a project and working with her? So I sent her agent the script and um, it didn't quite make it to Angela. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went through a mutual friend. Uh, we both know Amber Benson. Amber Benson um, co-directed co this movie a few years ago called Drones, which I think is just brilliant. And um, like this weird small sci-fi and Angela was in it and I knew that they knew each other. And so I reached out and I said, you know, hey, I'm trying to get this script to Angela Bettis. It's a comedy. I think she'd be brilliant. Do you think mm -hmm. that she'd be willing to read it? And she was willing to reach out for me. And um, uh, Angela read it, she responded, we met up. Um, my main goals with the movie were I was like, I don't care if you're, if you play a likable character, you can be a jerk, you can be mean. Mm -hmm. uh, you, the whole reason we're following you is because you're the anti-hero, not because you're this like life-saving protagonist. Mm -hmm. um, and she really responded to that. And, um, and then came on board and did the most amazing job. And I would love to take more credit for her performance, but honestly, she came in with it like stacked and ready to go. Like she knew what she was doing. It was so brilliant and just a lesson in acting. And it really, all my actors are great, but I think even just when she was there, all of their performances went up like a notch because mm -hmm. you had to keep up with her and all of the things that she was doing. Did you, it sounds like you always had her in mind. No, actually I wrote it. Well, I'm an actress and I thought there was a chance I might play it. Um, and then there were a couple of actresses that I've worked with in the past that I thought could possibly mm -hmm. play it. But when I brought her name up to my producers, they were like, yes, because they were big fans of May, which mm -hmm. I am as well, actually. You know, actually. And, um, and they had known her work as well through various other things. So we just reached out to her and I, um, David was already on at that point and, mm -hmm. and David wrote her a really ni nice letter saying like, please be in the movie, <laughs> which always helps. You can't get an actor. Get David Arquette to write a letter, and then maybe we'll come <laughs> I am writing that down. But um, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to ask you something you mentioned. I find really interesting, and it's kind of this idea of likability. Did you ever kind of have any any sort of pressure on yourself, maybe even perhaps on making Mandy likable? I went into it trying not to care. And my goal was to create this sort of female anti-hero because I don't think we see them very often. And um, it's become this weird goal for me to keep creating these fun female anti-heroes because, um, you know, they're, they're, I mean, we can put women in these leading roles, but as long as we are still putting them on a pedestal and and treating them like, I, I mean, I love 80s horror movies, but a lot of these 80s, you know, our criticism with these 80s horror movies is that the main female protagonist has no flaws. She's not yep. a good person. Like she's yep. just a completely lovely woman who's never had sex and never said a curse word in her life. And like, and those are not even that. That's not <laughs> um, human. So yeah, yeah. So for me, you know, creating these complicated female characters, I think, is definitely a feminist move. It's me trying to say women are people, people have flaws, therefore women have flaws and women are women. So to show women as full humans, we have to show them with flaws. We see wonderful male anti-heroes all the time and I love those movies. So it's me trying to kind of create a similar thing. Um, I got some feedback early on in the script um, and, and didn't take it out for a while, I think because of this, people thought that she was a little too harsh and 
they thought people wouldn't want to watch the movie. Um, those people were wrong. <laughs> people have liked the movie so far, for the most part. Um, and people also thought that uh, the Regina character was a little um, uh, too unlikable as well, which I, oh. she's a psychopath. I don't think you're supposed to agree with her or like her, but that doesn't mean she shouldn't be on the screen. And um, I mean, credit also to Chloe Farnworth. She did an amazing mm. job in, in crafting that character and creating a character who just really believed in everything she did, which I think made her almost likable because she's so she has so much conviction in all the things she does watchable <laughs> she's, uh, she's insanely yeah, watchable she's, she's very very watchable actually you know it's funny that's exactly what we said when we saw her um her audition tape she auditioned and and my producers and all and i all said she's so watchable like you can't turn away from from the screen love it one of the things that really stood out to me from the film is the use of music. Could you talk a little bit about your choices with the music and especially kind of about the choice of putting such operatic sounds and music to the most kind of everyday mundane situations? Yes. And that's exactly why we did it. Um, um, so Matt Glass is my composer. He's also my cinematographer. He's also my producer. He's, he's multi partner in, in so many things. He's a real Renaissance man. And um, I'm very grateful to have him on my team. He, he was uh, uh, so supportive of every, all, all, all of my vision from the very beginning. But he knows so much more about music than I do. Mm -hmm. And um, we talked a lot about music the whole way through. Um, we were we were listening to kind of the same stuff through shooting, which really helped because we were kind of on the same page. We were on the same vibe. Mm -hmm. um, but we had trouble crafting it at first. And we wanted to make sure, we wanted to give Mandy different music than we gave Regina. And the mm -hmm. opera music actually only comes on uh, when you see Regina. And um, we found this interesting, really, this interesting, like, driving drum beat for Mandy at the beginning mm -hmm. of the movie. But... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He played, he, he toyed with a lot of stuff with Regina and we kept being like, it's not right, it's not right. And finally, Matt had this brilliant idea that Re everything Regina does, she thinks is perfection. She thinks it's wonderful. It's art. She thinks, you know, making out with a skater in the parking lot is, is the best choice she's ever made instead of going and doing the job she's supposed to be doing. And so he was like, what if we play what would be in Regina's head, which would be like operatic gorgeous music so that the mundane becomes this like gorgeous landscape <laughs> for like beauty and he put it in there and it just totally worked we mm -hmm. i mean it made me laugh out loud like the first time i saw it which is this is you know when you're directing a movie you watch it so many times you're so bored with it and i was like i can't believe there's something that can actually like change the way i see the movie mm -hmm. and it completely changed those moments for me we actually had um a lot more like like metal music and mm -hmm. like hardcore music and like 90s grunge and stuff like uh, and the temp score and it felt so wrong i thought that would be exactly what we would need because it was all set in the 90s mm -hmm. and it just didn't work at all and i think what matt came up with is so unique and interesting um we're actually putting it out on vinyl um because i just but i just thought it was such an amazing score and I, it, it, mm -hmm. it felt like it needed some sort of um solid piece of art to be on because it stands alone i think in such an, an interesting way absolutely and just as a as a final question really and it's something that it, that it struck me the first time i watched it and it struck me again the second time i watched the film and i just have to ask what is the meaning behind the dance sequence <laughs> what 
multiple sort of musical sequences in the movie. So do you mean the one where he's dancing down the hallway? Yes, or, uh, the dance in the okay, hallway okay. scene. Because <laughs> I, I, I tell people, I'm like, if you're bored, there's like a weird musical interlude every like 20 or 30 minutes. So you'll you'll be fine. Um, just wait for the dance interlude. Um, you know what? So in part, that was me enjoying the fact that I had Tommy Hobson on set. Tommy Hobson is... Um, uh, an amazing talent that happens to be friends with my producers and was willing to come down for a week mm -hmm. and hang out with us. He was on a children's TV show with Tara Perry, who played Dorothy, the redhead, who's also my producer. Um, and they mm -hmm. sang and danced on this children's TV show. And I knew that he could dance. And we were in a weird situation um, where we lost David for a day. And, um, mm -hmm. We, we shot that scene over the course of three days, actually, weirdly, mm -hmm. because we didn't have some actors for one day. David was out of town. And so I, I somehow mm -hmm. had to connect the fact that Regina was in the hospital and um, that David Arquette's character, Jefferson, um, escapes at the same time. And Regina's about to go off on her own. And um, mm -hmm. the only, I, I was like, we, what we need is this long, continuous shot to show this is all happening mm -hmm. at the same time. And what better way to do it than have a guy just dance down the hallway to show us that this is not being, this is not being cut. We're actually just showing that this is just moving along, moving along. And then um, like filmmaking tip, we turn towards the mm -hmm. wall, we are able to cut and then pretend like it was continuously moving and then reveal um, David Arquette's character escaping. Um, so in part, it was actually like um, uh, a, a need for the scene. We needed mm -hmm. something to connect to these three moments that were shot across three different days. But um, it was also just, I'm goofy. And like, I'm going to have some goofy <laughs> shit in there, man. Like, I can't <laughs> not. And when you have like just a like really handsome, talented man like Tommy for a very short time, I was like, okay, what else can I put him in? What else can I do? I don't even... <laughs> Cause he's like just playing an EMT, but I mean, but I, he had no idea when he got there that I was going to be like, I need you to dance. I need you to sing. I need you to do multiple things. He thought he just had like two lines and was going to hang out for the rest of the time and, and play with us. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's so great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, thank you. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Best of luck with the film as well, with the rest of its journey. Oh, thanks. <laughs>